You may be seated. And when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to look at two texts, so you might... um, put a little mark in, in um, your Bibles, because what we're going to do is we're going to start in Luke, we're gonna, or we're going to start in Joshua, go to Luke, go back to Joshua, and then go back to Luke again. <clears throat> and we'll see, um, these are two very uh, different texts in a lot of ways, but there is some ways in which the two texts connect, and um, hopefully uh, you'll see that as the sermon progresses So we are going to read Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Just three short verses. I'd remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We'll end here. I want to ask that you would now turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to read the first 21 verses of Luke Chapter 2. Again, this is God's inspired word. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the whole counsel of God. What, what different texts, Lord, to look at, at Joshua and what you were doing there. And then to look at this amazing moment and time and read the history of when Jesus was born. Lord, we want to ask that you would be with us this morning as we consider your word. We pray that you would help us to think and to concentrate to meditate. We pray that you would guide us and focus our mind. And Lord, we pray that beyond the speaking that comes through this microphone, there would be a speaking into our ear by you. Lord, would you speak to us and tell us what it is that you would have us to hear? You know that we need to hear from you desperately. It is our desire. Lord, we'd ask that you would help us, that you would hear our prayer, and we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a story about what some say is history's most memorable Christmas. And the strange thing is that it was a celebration in the midst of slaughter. Let me explain that. Um, One thing that might help just right away is it took place in 1914 uh, on the front lines of World War I. Five months after hostilities had begun, both uh, sides of the war became entrenched. And then something uh, spectacular happened. On Christmas Day, uh, men crossed the front lines and they started venturing into no man's land. Now, no man's land is the term that they used for that space in between the trenches where uh, the battle was taking place. Men walked across the lines and began to exchange seasonal greetings and talk. And before long, men from both sides were mingling with each other and exchanging food and exchanging various souvenirs. Things began to take place that were surreal. Men from both sides of the conflict played games together like football, 
uh, there were joint burial ceremonies and prisoner swaps uh, between them. And some of these meetings even ended with the men singing Christmas carols together. This day became known to history as the Great Christmas Truce. And it has been seen as a symbolic moment of peace amid one of the most violent conflicts in human history. But peace was short-lived. When Christmas was over, the men returned to fighting. Our passage in Luke 2 is about peace. The hosts of heaven came and they declared peace. God's armies, the hosts of heaven, they came and declared peace. Consider verse 14 of Luke chapter 2. The angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. But unlike the great Christmas truce, the peace spoken of here by the angels is everlasting. For now, I want to ask you to turn back, if you would, to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. I want to begin in Joshua, where you will see peace desired. That is our first heading, peace desired. We're starting in Joshua chapter 5. Let me briefly explain the context of the passage to you. The children of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness for years, but now their time for wandering is over. Moses has recently died, and God has placed Joshua in command of the people. And the Lord tells Uh, Joshua to cross the Jordan and to begin conquering the land of Canaan. So Joshua sends spies into the land, especially to, to look at the city Jericho. You might remember the story of Rahab and how she hid the spies. And when the spies return, they tell Joshua that they are confident that Israel will be successful in conquering the land. And with this news, Israel crosses the Jordan and they renew their covenant with the Lord and they celebrate uh, the Passover for the first time in the promised land. And shortly thereafter, Israel encamped near Jericho to begin its siege. That's where we find ourselves in chapter 5. It's here where our text picks up. Joshua appears to have been alone. Perhaps he was planning his attack on the city. In verse 13, we're told that Joshua is caught by surprise. He raises his eyes and discovers an imposing figure standing before him, holding a drawn sword in his hand. Clearly, Joshua doesn't recognize who this man is that's holding the sword. But there must, there must have been something about him that he found compelling. You'll notice that Joshua doesn't run and he doesn't draw his own sword or or call out for help. Instead, the text says that he approaches the armed man and he asks him a question. Verse 13 says, when Joshua was by Jericho, 
He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua asks him if he is an adversary, and in verse 14, the visitor replies by saying, No. No, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua stands there for a moment. He's, he's, he's trying to take this in. What is this that I'm seeing? And it, and it starts to dawn on him. He's beginning to realize he is not talking to a man. This is a theophany. This is God in bodily form. This is the pre-incarnate Christ, the only begotten Son of God who identifies himself as the commander of the angelic armies of the Lord. Fear, the fear of God must have in that moment gripped Joshua. You might think of the prophet Isaiah when he was in the presence of God. What happened? He became undone. He was lost. He became keenly aware of his own sinfulness. The prophet Habakkuk had a similar experience in the presence of God. He said that his body trembled and that his lips quivered and that he felt rottenness in his bones. Moreover, Joshua looked in his right hand and what did he see? A drawn sword. This expression appears in two other places in the Bible. You might remember the angel who stops Balaam and his donkey, or the one who stood ready to execute judgment for David's census. The heavenly hosts are to be feared. They wield swords of divine judgment. Joshua's reaction here is appropriate. Verse 14 says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does the Lord say to his servant? Joshua falls to his knees. He places his hands on the ground and he bows his head until his forehead nearly touches the earth. His outward body language displays the disposition Of his heart, he demonstrates fear and reverence and respect and honor and submission and awe. It's clear that the person standing before Joshua is God in bodily form. The text says that Joshua worships and that his worship is accepted. The Bible strictly forbids the worship of anyone but the Lord himself. But if there's any doubt about the nature of the person in front of Joshua, verse 15 removes it. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This language duplicates God's command to Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses, Do not fear, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Like Moses, Joshua is instructed to remove his sandals because the place where he is standing is holy. People, places, and things can be holy insofar as they've been set aside by God or claimed by him. God is holy. And the Bible says that he is of purer eyes than to look upon evil. And as we look at this passage, we see that God is not only holy, but he wields a sword of divine judgment. That is a problem. That's a problem for sinners like you and like me. God hates sin. He hates sin, and the scripture is clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. But God is not only holy and just, he's full of mercy and compassion. And while angels execute judgment, they also declare peace. And we see that as we consider our passage in Luke chapter 2. I want to ask you to turn back to Luke chapter 2, and there we see peace declared. That is our second heading. Peace declared. The U.S. military has several special operations uh, forces, and some of them have become quite famous for their heroics. You've probably heard of the Green Berets, uh, the Rangers, uh, the Navy SEALs. These forces are the elite forces. These, these forces are the ones that are called upon to complete various high-risk missions ranging from combat to counterterrorism and even to hostage rescue. Uh, rescuing people is especially challenging for them because uh, they must enter, enter hostile territory with the hopes of getting both themselves and their prisoners out alive. And in Luke, we see the angelic armies of heaven on the ultimate rescue mission. In Luke chapter 1, we're told that an angel named Gabriel was sent to the Virgin Mary, who was engaged to be married to Joseph. The angel told her that she was going to have a baby and that she was to name him Jesus. When she asked how, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born is to be called Holy, the Son of God. The Gospel of Matthew says that Joseph was also informed by an angel. And as Luke 2 begins, we learn that Caesar Augustus wanted every man to be registered. This was likely done for the purpose of levying taxes. But of course, 
you couldn't register where you lived. Uh, the Roman registration required every man in Israel to return to his ancestral home. And since Joseph was of the family of David, he had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem with Mary, who was expecting a baby. And while they were in Bethlehem, the time for Mary to give birth came. They tried to get a room at an inn, but there were none available. Apparently, the only option they had was to take shelter in a place where animals were kept. So that's what they did. Verse 7 said, says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The birth of Jesus was very humble and lonely. Mary gave birth to Jesus in a barn with only Joseph to attend to her. You might see articles in the news right now about um, archaeological digs um, where they're supposedly looking at the tomb of a midwife of Jesus. Uh, But this is uh, not from the Bible. This is taken from a false gospel, not from the inspired word. Um, There was no midwife. Mary and Joseph were alone. The couple wiped Jesus as clean as they could by firelight. And then Mary wrapped him in strips of cloth and held him in her arms and rested. Meanwhile, verse 8 says, in the same regions there were shepherds out in the field watching over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The shepherds were likely huddled together close and by a fire. Perhaps they were talking with their, fa- their faces being only illuminated by the fire. And suddenly glorious light overpowered the night and an angel approached them. The shepherds recoiled in fear. They were scared because they were experiencing the miraculous the eternal, the holy. And notice that God brought his message to the shepherds first. And that is significant. God's heart is with the poor in spirit, the needy of this world and the broken, the broken and the rejected, those who need rescue. Shepherds of the time were despised by the self-righteous and elite of the day. According to the Mishnah, shepherds were considered unclean, and they were regarded as thieves. They were considered unreliable, and they weren't allowed to give testimony in the courts. The only people lower than shepherds at this time were the lepers, You see, God comes to those who are in need. He doesn't come to the self-sufficient and the self-righteous. 
The gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. People like these frightened shepherds. As the splendor of God's glory blazed around them, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angel reassured the shepherds by telling them that they had no reason to fear. He had come with good news, great news. God was providing the means of peace and reconciliation with him through Jesus. This very day, the Christ was born, the Savior of all, of all who would believe in him. The term Christ is Greek for anointed one. The Jews expected that one day God would fulfill his promise to send a special rescuer, a special deliverer. The Christ wouldn't simply be an anointed one. He would be the anointed, the Messiah. It is this one that the angel announces, Christ the Lord. Oh, how the angels must have marveled. They must have marveled at the love and compassion of their commander. They had only known him to be a beacon of strength, majestic, and full of glory. And there he was, their commander, a helpless baby. A human wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This was the ultimate rescue mission. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. In an instant, the shepherds found them surrounded by an angelic army. Not 50, not 100, not even 10,000. It was a multitude of angels. Perhaps the entire angelic army of heaven came to witness this spectacular event. The angels lifted their voices to God in praise and they declared peace. The means by which God would bring peace between himself and the people was delivered. Jesus the Christ was born to save his people from their sin. Peace was delivered. That's what we see in our third heading. Peace Delivered. After the angels said that God would bring peace for men on whom his favor rests, they seem, that is, the angels seem to depart as quickly 
as they came. The glory that lit, lit the countryside faded and the constellations reappeared in the night sky. The shepherds found themselves alone staring at one another in amazement. What had they just witnessed? What was this that they heard? Once they gathered themselves, they began to rejoice with one another and they hurried off toward the city to see if they could find this child. Verse 15 says, when the angels went away, From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, when they arrived, things were calm. But just hours earlier, Joseph and Mary were moving with a sense of great urgency. Men normally waited outside while the midwife delivered the baby, but there was no midwife. Joseph had to help. There was sweat, there was pain, there was blood, there was tears. The the carpenter's heart must have raced as he struggled to grasp God's only son who was beginning to let out his very first cries. The son of God became a real man, not just someone who appeared to be a man. He took upon himself a human nature. He had a real human body and mind and emotions that were complete with their inherent human weaknesses. And yet he was born without a corrupt nature and remained sinless throughout his life. This was part of his mission to bring peace. The shepherds wanted to see this child who would bring peace, so they didn't stop running until they found the right enclosure. They searched the stalls all around the perimeter, and eventually they found Mary and Joseph and their new baby among the animals. They must have marveled at what they saw. We tend to think of Jesus as being born in some charming country barn with freshly swept floors and clean straw and plenty of bright lighting. But that's not what they found. And yet lying before them was the promised Messiah. Christ the Lord. What a contrast. Verse 17 says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told, that had been told them concerning this child. They told Mary and Joseph about their encounter with the angels. They shared the good news that they had received. Their baby, this baby, was the long-awaited Messiah. He was sent from heaven to be the Savior of his people. 
You see, the Savior had to be both God and man. He had to be divine to keep his human nature from sinking under the wrath of God on the cross and to satisfy God's justice for sin. He had to be divine so that he could give his spirit and bring his people everlasting salvation. But Jesus also had to be a man because it's mankind that fell into sin. It's humanity that's in need of salvation. As a man, Jesus became the perfect surrogate for us so that he could take his, our sins upon himself, become sin for us, and die an atoning death for us. As Peter explained, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. When you believe and embrace this personally, it changes everything. Freedom, freedom, real freedom from shame and guilt. Your relationship with God restored. You truly gain peace. Paul talked about this when he said, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took a human nature to himself to bring us peace with God. He had to be God and man in one person because it was God and man that were estranged. The two could only be reunited in and through him. Jesus had to be both God and man so that he would be accepted by the Father and relied upon by us. The peace found in Christ is the good news that the angels spoke of. And in this message that the shepherds heard, they knew they had found peace. And so they went and relayed it. The message that the shepherds heard was not the kind of message that anyone could ignore. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds must have been an incredible encouragement to Mary. What they said about the city of David and about her child's identity as Lord in Christ, it confirmed the promises that God had made to her some nine months before. And Luke ends the account of Jesus' birth in verse 20, writing, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I began the sermon by talking about the great Christmas truce of World War I. You remember men from both sides of the conflict enjoyed peace for the day, but once Christmas was over, 
their peace was as well. But as we have looked at the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that the angels declare peace, and the peace offered in Christ is eternal. But what that means in your life depends on where you are. What do I mean by that? Well, we're a large group of people, and we are all in different places spiritually. If you're not a Christian, that means you can find forgiveness of sin, internal peace, and a living relationship with God by embracing Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you're a Christian and you are struggling. If so, peace is still found in Christ. Reach out to him in prayer and ask him to help you. Christ died and was buried, but he rose again. He is alive. He's alive. And he has the power and the desire to help you. Perhaps you're a believer and you're thriving right now. Maybe the peace of God is overflowing in your heart and you are one who is filled with joy and with smiles. What do you learn? Be like the shepherds. Be zealous to make the gospel known. Spread the good news. The news that there is true and lasting peace found in Jesus. As we've looked at our two texts today, we saw peace desired, declared, and delivered receive the peace offered to you in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it's when we read your word like this, we, we, we wish we had a time machine uh, that we could go back in time uh, and, and see these events unfold. My Lord, we hope that in eternity, when we are in your presence, somehow, some way we can see these things, what it must have been like, Lord. The contrast, both of you being the God of all glory and splendor and yet born in a manger, the thing you did, the incarnation, taking on our nature, walking amongst us, and for what? that you might save us. Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude and that you would help us to meditate and to contemplate on these things. Your great love for us demonstrated in the incarnation, in your birth, in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. Lord, you are good. We'd ask that you would help each one of us Lord, if there are those who don't know you, we would ask that you would do a work in your heart, that you would call on them, that you would let them know that, yes, even today, it is you that speaks to them and that you welcome them with open arms. Lord, would you give them the strength to leave sin behind and to embrace you? We pray, Lord, too, for any who are struggling 
we would ask, Lord, that they would call upon you and that you would give them that peace that you promise that surpasses all understanding. And Lord, for those who rejoice, we would ask that you would send us, each one of us, out and give us the ability to spread the good news about the peace found in Christ. Lord, hear our prayer and help us. We'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.